Normally when we start this show, you will hear the Maryland fight song, but we recorded the podcast earlier on Wednesday, then I had to run a little errand, and then when I came back, we have news that we absolutely need to talk about on this show, and that is expected news, but Bruno Fernando is going to be staying in the NBA draft, Thomas, and we talked a little bit about this later in the show when Maryland was in the midst of recruiting someone, and you'll hear about that in a second, uh, with the roster spot that we expected to come open when Fernando presumably stayed in the NBA draft, and now he has. Uh, there is no surprise in this news. I don't even think there's necessarily a surprise in the timing, but no real uh, questions about this. It was expected, and I don't think any Maryland fan could be surprised by this news. It's sad, but it's not a surprise. I think a little bittersweet um, is probably how I would describe this. I mean, we, we all kind of saw this coming really just throughout the season. Bruno played like an NBA player, and he's getting projected – somewhere in the late first round right now and it was it was it just made sense the timing was right for him um he's gonna be so easy to root for pretty much wherever he goes unless he goes on the warriors which we'll see <laughs> well the um, warriors might not be as good next year because kevin durant's going to the knicks who knows <laughs> who knows but whatever the case i mean you know he was one of my he might be my favorite athlete i covered at maryland he just had so much passion and he was so fun to watch play and he was good to be around. Um, you know, I'm graduating now, so it's not like I would have been able to cover him at Maryland next year. But it, it would have. He was really a joy, and he captured so many Maryland fans. I and think it's unfortunate that he doesn't play longer because he could have gone up there as like all-time favorite Maryland players for so many fans if he had played another year. But I mean, the fact that they got a second year out of him when no one thought they were going to get a second year out of him, and the second year was so good, even better than the first, and the first was pretty dang good to begin with, I think for Mark Turgeon, it's going to be one of his biggest recruiting success stories. You know, we always talk about him and recruiting, and sometimes it's hit or miss, but really with the fact that Maryland's going to have back-to-back first-round players with Kevin Herter and now Bruno Fernando, presumably— that's a good sign for a team that wasn't sending a lot of players to the NBA in his early days, but is now starting to send more. And that's a good sign for the program and where it's heading. Yeah. And, and just for, from this past year, you know, Bruno was sort of as a sophomore, it's weird to say he was the veteran, but he was one of the veterans on this team that was so young. And so much of this team is coming back. Jalen Smith is coming back. They might add another center. They will bring in a couple more uh, big men in the Mitchell twins just there's there are a lot of pieces still here and Bruno Fernando is you know he won't be around when this program takes that next step but if and when it does I think we'll remember him as being instrumental in that process Mm -hmm. and you know that whenever he comes to Washington he'll get a lot of Maryland fans if he's not playing for the Wizards which who knows whether they'll draft him or not but when he comes back to Washington maybe Maryland night will be when Bruno Fernando comes in because I don't think any Maryland fan will ever say a bad word about him. I don't think so. So that is the news of Bruno Fernando. It's not a surprise, but maybe it's a surprise at the timing because, of course, it happens as soon as you record a podcast. So the rest of the podcast is coming up right now. We just wanted to make sure we added that bit of news in before you listen to the rest of the show. So enjoy. listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. 
to episode 156 of the Testudo Times podcast. Maryland Day has come and gone. There's a lot of news, so let's just get right into it because I don't have a funny intro that doesn't have endgame spoilers in it. Uh, Thomas, we got to start with the NFL draft, and we have to start with four Maryland players being drafted, more than I thought, and Darnell Savage, as you so eloquently pointed out last week when you had to listen to a Barstool podcast to listen to Mel Kuyper talk about him, he ended up going not just in the first round, but relatively early in the first round, all things considered. That's a big moment for Maryland football, and we like Darnell Savage a lot, but I did not expect him to be a 21st overall pick at any point watching him play. No, absolutely. I mean, my my fun Darnell Savage story, I don't think I told this last week. Uh, after the Ohio State game, I left my recorder in Gossett where they did the press conference because I'm an idiot. And uh, so I have to go all the way back down. And it's not really quick to get from Tizer Tower to Gossett. And the only people the only people there are this father and son talking to Darnell Savage. And so he has a swipe that gets me into the building. So he swipes me in and, you know, I go in, I get it, whatever. Uh, say thank you. Uh, I, you know, I knew I probably wasn't going to see him again because I wasn't going to be on the road covering the next game. But, you know, he, here is the one guy left after after that game just talking to. I don't know if he knew them beforehand, but he's the one guy left. And he was very clearly into that conversation. And I knew, like, kind of watching that, that's NFL player Darnell Savage. Like, he was one of Maryland's best players for a few years. Um, you know, got a lot of athleticism. his really good stats. I didn't know that was first-round draft pick Darnell Savage. I don't think it, – it didn't occur to me really until a week or so before the draft that he could even go in the first round. Um, just there were so many safeties in the draft that a lot of scouts liked. But just by the end of it, with you, – you combine his college stats and his college tape and his senior bowl performance and his combine performance and, you know, just his character. I mean, he's a, he's a really good, humble dude. And I think just by the end of it, people are like, you know what? I think this is – he's both safe and has a ton of upside. And I was not expecting 21 either. I was expecting mid to late 20s. Um, but Packers knew he was their guy, and they traded up to get him. Yeah, and it fits with the Packers. I mean, we all think that the Packers' defense is terrible for many, many years because it was very, very bad. But now, I mean, they've just completely remade that defense. You could also argue that he's better than Rashawn Gary, which is hilarious when you think about the Rashawn Gary recruiting cycle and then what he w did or didn't do at Michigan. And you could honestly think that maybe Darnell Savage is a better NFL player than him, which is kind of funny when you think about it. It, puts it is. The I mean, and circus in there are a lot of – Doesn't it? it it's been fun to see Packers fans be like, I'm not really sure about this Michigan kid who was this five-star recruit, but I definitely like this pick of <laughs> – the Maryland kid. And you know, it's been, it's been fun to see that thinking about Darnell Savage for the first time ever, you know, cause most, cause you know, I mean, maybe they thought about him for 10 seconds when his name was mentioned when Maryland played Wisconsin. But other than that, I mean, it's not a guy that you think about all that often until like Mel Kuyper starts mentioning him all the time. I mean, he's or, someone, I think a lot of, a lot of fans probably wanted their team to take him in the second round, but he, his stock just kind of took off at the end. And they had to trade up to get him. And so, you know, to some people, that wasn't, you know, trading up is a little iffy. But, hey, they got their guy. We know how good he is. Yeah. 
Something about Maryland's safeties, which is fascinating, why they're always ending up now being some of Maryland's best players. I wonder if that continues with this new defense, but this was not the only Maryland player drafted. Lamar is here as well. Should have mentioned that off the top, but Lamar is here, and we're going to now talk about the three other Maryland players drafted. A couple of them were very much a surprise. Byron Cowart went in the fifth round of the Patriots. I'm, I'm stunned by that. I mean, it's the Patriots, so basically they can do whatever they want, and everybody's going to fall in line. But for us, didn't think that Byron Cowart was a fifth-round player. Certainly didn't think he was a Patriots player. But then again, they turned J.C. Jackson into a pretty solid NFL corner. They have a thing with Maryland and Rutgers players, which is odd in New England. But he went in the fifth round. I didn't think he was going to be drafted. Yeah, Coward is one of those guys. So the next three guys that were actually drafted, we were prepared to write, like, undrafted free agent hits. But when they went, it was definitely a surprise. Coward was the biggest of them because I saw him more as, like, a sixth-round, seventh-round pick, if anything. Um, but he's always had that potential from the time he was like a high school recruit and there wasn't a lot of quarterback pressure from Maryland this last season, but he led the team with three sacks. Um, it'll be interesting to see what, uh, the Patriots do with him, how they bring him along, but there's an organization that can get something out of him. And as much as it pains me to say it, it's probably the Patriots. You had to kind of have to defer to them, unfortunately. Yeah. Which is which is a, a shame that we're still never going to have to get over. But J.C. Jackson is a super roaring, so there you go. Uh, then next, in the sixth round, another player I didn't think was going to get drafted, although it was more likely that he was going to be drafted, which is Ty Johnson, because you can't teach speed. It's a horrible cliche, but you can't teach speed. And the Lions never have had good running backs. And so that speed's good on special teams at the very least. But, again, I'm a little bit surprised that he was drafted. And the team is also mildly surprising. Yeah, uh, the Lions are looking to move on from, I think, Theo Riddick. Uh, and they brought in a group of backs who could possibly do that, Ty being one of them. Ty's obviously going to earn his money on special teams first, and he's a guy who's, like, comfortable doing that. Like, at Pro Day, he was talking about how uh, he was earning points with the coaches for using all the special teams uh, lingo that they use because he's someone who, like, is comfortable earning his money. Uh, Nicole Auerbach had a really good piece on him right before the draft. And it was surprising to see him go before the seventh round. Um, but not wholly surprising having seen him play. Uh, he's a guy who has that speed, who can earn his money on special teams, and... It's going to be hard to catch him if he gets an open field. It's got it's perhaps replacing theoretic. He's not going to be starting running back because you have carry on Johnson. C. No, he's also there, but that's plenty of good, solid speed. And again, you can mold that into something. He could end up being a good third down back who can catch passes. He's not terrible at that. So plenty of interesting kinds of uh, potential there. And then the, th- and then the third of the late round picks from Maryland. And I think, you know, Byron Coward going to the fifth round is surprising, but did we think Derwin Gray was going to get drafted, let alone by Pittsburgh? I did not see Derwin Gray getting drafted. Uh, it was a rough season for him on the line. Like, this last season, watching him look seemed like one of his worst seasons in college. Um, but he, I guess he had earned enough points earlier in his career that uh, Pittsburgh was comfortable taking a flyer on him in the seventh round. And the seventh round is... 
if you get something out of it, congrats. If not, you you just move on. So uh, hopefully he sticks there. But I did not think he was going to get drafted. No. Then I think Thomas, I'll bring you back in here. The the I don't know if it was most shocking, but Trey Watson not getting drafted was definitely a surprise. I think anybody could use a linebacker that could just tackle, even if it's basically all he does. I was surprised he didn't get drafted. And then it turned out that he was, you know, supposed to go to Washington and ended up going to Miami. That was an interesting couple of minutes. That was a very interesting couple of minutes. I mean, I'll just say that Trey Watson not getting drafted is by far a bigger surprise than any of those guys actually being drafted. Because any of those guys, like, once you get to the sixth, seventh round, you know, teams kind of have their guys, and it only takes one team to, like, really believe in you above everyone else that – you know, you can be a surprise, but I mean, Trey Watson was getting a lot of fourth round projections and fourth round guys don't usually fall out of the draft completely. Um, JC Jackson was a little bit lower of a prospect last year, I think, and fell out, which was also surprising, but Watson has, he has the stats, he has the character. Um, he has a lot that just would, would show you that he, I mean, I still think he he makes the Dolphins roster. I think he well, considering you know, the Dolphins are you know tanking. Yeah, and that's I no mean, it, it's Trey Watson. It's just that the Dolphins roster is going to be really bad this year because they don't care about this season. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he'll he becomes an impact player. I think I was I was excited as a as a Washington football fan uh, for the few minutes that he was supposed to be in that organization. Well, you were having a good um, day already. They actually had a good draft. They had a good draft. I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not entirely like ready to root for uh, that that Bullis kid who went to Ohio State. But like, we'll see. Okay, can we talk about that for a second? I think we have to because we'll get to some of the other UDFA's in a second. But like, I know that there are plenty of you out there who are listening who like the Washington NFL team, who probably do not like Dwayne Haskins after what happened with him committing to Maryland and then decommitting and going to Ohio State and lighting Maryland up, and now he plays for your pro team. Like, for a pure football perspective, that's a good thing because that's, you know, a great quarterback. He's better than probably everybody not named Kyler Murray, but Kyler Murray's a unique case. He's certainly better than the Duke kid who went to the Giants, which we will laugh at for another 10 years. I, I don't know, like, are you as a Maryland fan and a Maryland observer, but also a fan of Washington NFL team, which is a hard team to root for, I know. Are you, like, able to pull yourself in for for Dwayne Haskins yet? I, I mean, Thomas, I guess you're the best example of this here because Lamar roots for a team that's a lot better in the NFC East. And I root for a team that's just as bad just in the AFC South. Yeah, so I mean, for me, I, I know enough people who like know Dwayne that it's like, they, they all like him and by all accounts, he's an actual good person. He is very confident in himself. I mean, and you saw this when he was interviewed by, I think it was by ESPN after he was drafted, like the league done messed up. Like, he can border on cocky a little bit, and when that kind of came out, when he committed to Ohio State and launched a microsite to decommit from Maryland and on Martin Luther King Day kind of compare himself and his decision to Martin Luther King, I think that's really what uh, turned off a lot of Maryland fans to him. But I think if he's if he's good at football, like this area is going to embrace him. It, it's, that's just how it is. They They love that team no matter what. Um, Except last year, and, no one showed up. Yeah, I mean, 
they will they can get turned off easily and they can get sucked in easily. And if he's good, he'll he'll bring a lot of he'll bring a lot of people in. Well, especially because you know, kind of from Jason's boat. Yeah. Uh, my two cents as a Maryland as, as an Eagles fan who also roots for Maryland is, geez, man. Well, you Why got like, you got the you got the best and the worst of it because you got the Giants taking a really crappy quarterback, and you have the uh, the Washington team taking a really good one. But it's like we've had so many years of Washington incompetence. They choose this draft to nail this one. It was hard. To, well, it was like hard no, to no, watch no. almost. It's, it's, it's the Giants that led that to be screwed up because the Dolphins were never taking a quarterback in this year's draft. Because I mean, they, well, they found theirs. Frozen, but we they're going, they're taking for Tua. I mean, uh, let's let's be honest. I mean, the, the 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 Washington NFL team had a great player just fall into their lap, like the Jaguars yeah. had Josh Allen fall into their lap. And even the Jaguars aren't that stupid. Even the Washington yeah. Potatoes are not as stupid as they won't take Dwayne Haskins. Well, I mean, he was their guy, to laugh too. at Daniel Jones. It's, it's not going to be fun to watch Dwayne Haskins over the next couple of years. By the way, I will say this as, a, uh, as somebody who – this is a very, like, you know, weird connection. But I know somebody who went to high school with Daniel Jones, and he was, like, two years ahead of him. And he was telling me a little bit about his personality and the kind of, you know, kind of person he is. This is Charlotte private schools, Charlotte Catholic schools. And I'm thinking, because I know what my friend's like. He, he and I are good friends. And we, we, went, we've, we suffered through some Sundays and Saturdays of football together. And I'm thinking about that and him going up to New York, which is kind of the complete opposite of what, like, that life is. Poor Daniel Jones. If he is a modicum of bad, and I'm worried about him because I don't think he's going to be good, he is going to get eaten alive in New York. Just completely and utterly torched. Anyway, that's a diversion. Let's go back, Thomas, to the UDFAs. A couple of others were taken. Jesse Annabonin went to the Texans. Damian Prince went to the Colts. Rayvon Davis went to the Steelers. Tavon Jacobs uh, goes to the Ravens. Uh, Brendan Moore goes to the 49ers. Uh, anything in there that you find notable? I think there's the only one you missed is uh, an interesting one. MB Tanya has taken two separate minicamp invites. Um, he'll be just because the Ravens have theirs this weekend and the LA chargers have theirs the following weekend. So he'll be in both camps. Um, and we'll see if that, that turns into anything that, th- I mean, that is a side of like the UDFA process that I hadn't known about is going to multiple mini camps. And I guess it makes some sense. Um, cause in the past when we've tracked this, like guys have been with one team and then just kind of popped up on another one. Um, so a lot, a lot kind of does go on behind the scenes, but it's, it, it was a pretty good group of, uh, you know, seniors and a lot of them are going to get at least a shot. You know, I think Anna Bonham has a good chance. I think Prince has a pretty good chance to really, really compete for a roster spot. And obviously we talked about Watson. So, um, yeah, it, this was a pretty good crop of pro Terps coming out. Not that bad, and it was the first time they've had consecutive first-round picks, as we mentioned, what, mid-2000s? Yeah, since Sean Merriman and Vernon Davis, who turned out okay. They both turned out to be pretty good NFL players, except Sean Merriman got his lunch taken away from him by Maurice Jones-Drew, and I will never forget that because it's one of the greatest moments in Jaguars history because there aren't many others to thank for. Anyway, uh, there was also Maryland football, actual Maryland football things happening this weekend with the spring game, which was interesting 
some things happened in that that I want to get to. The first thing when I was reading up on the spring game after it happened was um, Tyler DeSue played really well. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was one of those. So he ends up with the first-team offense. Everyone had taken some first-team reps in the spring. And with Tyrell Pigram being sort of held out of practice this week because he, like, tweaked a little something just a little bit in uh, in a scrimmage, you're overly cautious with guys in the spring. So Maryland held out a lot of guys who weren't that hurt uh, throughout the spring and didn't let Pigram play in the spring game just because there was a chance that he could he could get hurt. I think um, Mike Lawson so, knows about a thing called the angry Maryland quarterback hating God. Oh, yes. He, he's been here for it. Well, has somebody um, asked him about that in a press conference yet? I think we should. Someone not yet, but I think once the other quarterbacks get here, we'll we'll have a better idea. We'll have to have somebody ask him about that because I'm. We'll sure see if they all. We'll see, we'll see if they all make it to week one. But like, oh boy, I was. It, it's it's kind of hard not to be encouraged by a couple of things. Just the way that the way that Bortenschlager and Dessue played. Um, I mean, they threw a lot. Like they threw a lot more than you would have expected Maryland to throw, given who their running backs are. And I think a lot of that is just because there were three running backs in the spring game and Joanne Leak had, had to switch teams because there were only three of them. Um, but both of them looked competent and they looked like they didn't have to do too much, even though they threw a lot. And in the offense, just the last few years, there haven't been as, it hasn't seemed like there have been as many easy throws and sure. Like you don't really rush the passer in the spring game. The lines aren't operating it hundred percent and there's not a real threat of being sacked but if this is an offense where things are easier for quarterbacks there are a lot more easy throws a lot more throws to tight ends for instance kind of short throws over the middle like that's an offense that probably will it, it probably won't have the complete and total duds that we've seen a lot from Maryland the last few years which so... is encouraging so you're going from, you know, feast or famine where they could put up however many points they put up against Illinois, like 60-something? I, I don't... Yeah, I think they scored 63 and had like 700 yards. But then in other game. games, nothing happened. Yeah, they, they had some real clunkers. Yeah, but and... I mean, like that, was, that was the unfortunate part of Matt Canada's offense is that sometimes they'd be amazing and then other times, you know, they'd play Michigan and nothing would happen. So, yeah, or Iowa or Iowa, yeah, that was whatever bad. it is. Penn State in many regards, but you know, is there anything else? I mean, the quarterbacks are always going to stand out for Maryland because Maryland's going to need seven of them to get through a season. We're cynics, and after all that we have seen with Maryland quarterbacks, having seven is probably good. I mean, let's think about how many they have now. They've got enough, and that, that's going to be an interesting competition. I actually now want to go into that just briefly for a second. Uh, Thomas is so you, you take what you want out of the spring game. But the Sue and Borton Slogger, we kind of assumed weren't really there. You know, we thought, okay, Justin Jackson, it's going to be Pigram. Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson. Justin Jackson, I'm thinking of too many basketball things in my head. Josh Jackson, Tyrell Pigram, we thought those were going to probably be the two guys, right? And then you have Lejean, who's coming in, too, as a four-star recruit. We thought those were going to be the guys. But now it seems like there's a chance that this is actually a five-way quarterback competition. I mean, I think there is still a bit of a gap between Josh Jackson and what we saw in the spring game. But the fact that, you know, DeSue, who was really on the fringes last year, um, had looked like he would be on the fringes of, of the quarterback battle this year, 
just to see, you know, to see him really, really play well. He won MVP of the spring game because he quarterbacked the winning offense, made some, made a lot of good throws. If, if that is, you know, sort of the floor for Maryland at quarterback, then you're fine. Um, you know, he, he played, he showed enough that he's, he's not going to be just an afterthought. I don't think he's a serious contender for the job as it stands, but a lot can happen between, you know, now and fall camp, a lot can happen in fall camp. And, you know, he showed that he's, you know, he's, you could do a lot worse. Uh, Put it that way. Quarterback history. You can do a lot worse. We've seen a lot worse. Lamar, what else from the spring game did you notice? I think you got to talk about the tight ends, uh, especially Jagosi Mukankwo. He had a great game at the spring game with two touchdowns. He played on Borton Slager's team, so he wasn't. Uh, he didn't end up taking home the MVP because they were on the losing side. But in total, four tight ends caught touchdowns on Saturday, which is well more than we've seen in the last couple of years from Maryland uh, Maryland tight ends. It's, uh, just from the little glimpse at what Loxley's offense will probably look like. They'll definitely be more involved. Conquo said they barely practiced uh, even catching passes last season, and already they're doing a lot more of that. So tight ends had a very uh, had an inspiring game where, like, you can see it's obvious that they're going to be a lot more involved than they have been. So as opposed to being from, you know, not involved at all to somewhat involved, it's a big leap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the last couple of seasons, it was a novelty to see a tight end even go out for a pass uh, or have a pass thrown in their general direction. It's uh, obvious that there will be a lot larger part of that. And you also have uh, all Mac selection, Tyler Mabry coming in from Buffalo over the summer. So they'll have a lot of uh, some good options at tight end, and they'll probably go to a couple two tight end sets. Wow. When's the last time you saw a two tight end set at Maryland with Randy Edsel? I mean, that weren't being used as a like an extended offensive line. I, I don't even know. I can't even think of that. Uh, Thomas, is there anything else from the spring game that you noticed? My big uh, thing that I noticed, the helmets. They have numbers on them because Mike Loxley just used to coach at Alabama. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's just a spring game thing or if that's um, actually what the helmets are going to be. We'll, we'll kind of see. Maryland updated its uniforms last year, but I wouldn't be stunned if well, they, they tweaked some other things in the every, summer. Every other day, if there's a new uniform combination. Yeah, so so we'll see. I I, I kind of liked the uh, the helmets with the stripe over the middle, but not everyone did, so we'll see. Um, we'll be on the helmets. Yeah, so to me, tight ends for sure. I really liked throwing a pass to a lineman both every both teams got one trick play and the the one that matters is Jalen Duncan caught a pass Uh uh-huh that was that was exciting um you know it's it's kind of hard to put too much into defensive stats um but I was I was impressed by uh number one Ayenda Ely he's someone who I think can step right in for Trey Watson. Um, Ely sort of was 
a fringe rotation player last year. He's entering his redshirt sophomore year. I think he's someone who could be poised for really a breakout season. He won the you know linebacker award for the spring. Um, he'll just Isaiah Davis is still around. Isaiah Davis was one of those guys who was held out all spring. So it was Ely and Chance Campbell, but I think Ely might have as good, you know, is as close to a sure thing as anyone at that position right now. And when you also did a huge depth chart, the offense at least, the defense has not been posted yet, but we'll, you know, we'll be happening soon. So where, so what about that depth chart when you were putting it together stands out to you? At least this is where we're starting to talk on May 1st. We are still three months away from fall practice starting. I really, really like the wide receivers a lot. Um, you know, Dante Demas was, he won a most improved player award, which I don't know how much stock to put in these awards, but Maryland handed out a bunch of things, um, a bunch of awards named after former Maryland players at, at the end of the spring game. So, that was, I mean, it was kind of cool. Well, that's interesting. Um, Cause that's certainly something that we have not seen before. No, that, that's a new Loxley thing. And like, we actually, as the media voted for DeSue as the spring game MVP and Duncan as the uh, top lineman of the spring game. So that was um, that was fun. There's like this whole sheet of award winners, but uh, Dante Demas and Jay Sean Jones look like ace receivers. I mean, we saw a lot of Jay Sean Jones last year. Uh, we saw a lot of Demas late last year. Their the, their numbers are underwhelming if you just look at them. Like Jay Sean had 22 catches and was second on the team. Like Maryland just didn't complete a lot of passes last year, but. You could tell that those two guys were playmakers, and they've continued to progress. I, you know, Daryl Jones and Brian Cobbs, the other two receivers from that class, have looked impressive. Um, Taj Capehart looks impressive. A couple of the 2017 guys who were redshirt sophomores who haven't really contributed much in their college careers, Carlos Carrier and Sean Nelson in particular, those are guys who've kind of taken a step up. And that's, you know, and then there's a four-star uh, rookie coming in, and Isaiah Hazel. So that's a group that I think you can be really optimistic about, especially if this is an offense where Maryland can throw the ball and have a lot of easy throws. <laughs> get, those throw guys, the get the ball to those guys. You get the ball to those guys for sure. So you're telling me that Maryland has weapons that aren't running backs this year. And they have a lot of weapons that are running backs. I mean, it's crazy. Um, McFarland looked like might actually have an explosive offense. Oh, it's been explosive, but it's also been like implosive. Like feast or famine. But, like, a consistently yes. explosive offense that can compete in the Big Ten East. Not well, well, I wouldn't day. go there yet, but it's it's possible, yes. It's something worth talking about. Absolutely. The playmakers are there. We'll see if uh, the quarterback play gets to where we think slash hope it can be. That's an obviously an important question, and I'm assuming your defensive uh, depth chart is going to be coming out soon, yes? Yes. Should be. If you're listening to this Thursday, it's probably out. Mm-hmm. So. We're recording this Wednesday, so it's not out yet, but that seems to be it from football-related things currently, but there were also recruits that committed, and I will let Lamar take a a little crack at these couple of recruits and who they are and what they're about. Yeah, we had two commits, one from defensive end Jordan Mitchell, uh, weak side uh, defensive end, uh, who also had offers from Louisville, Pittsburgh, and Rutgers at the time. Meanwhile, Ruben Hippolyte, uh, outside linebacker, uh, also gave his pledge. He's from Florida. He talked to Wes Brown last month and uh, expressed a desire to like, make an impact early, say, Miles' game after Devin Bush. He's a little undersized, 
uh, but also had some solid offers from Penn State, Michigan, and LSU, West Virginia. So he was rising fast, and it'll be interesting to see how fast he can make an impact on the field. But only a three-star at the time, but Darnell Savage was a three-star. DJ Moore was a three-star. Maryland's shown success, some success with that recently. Well, it seems like by Weister, what you're talking about, he's not going to be a three-star for much longer. He could end as a four-star. And I know, Thomas, there's a couple of other things about these guys you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I mean, Hippolyte's a th- high three-star. If he keeps rising, he might sneak into four. Um, either way, I mean, this is probably the first time this – this is the first time this cycle that Maryland has beaten out a, a chunk of Blue Bloods who were also after these kids. Um, and Hippolyte told Wes after he committed that it was it was kind of hard to, like, really turn down a program like Michigan that he's, you know, really re- likes as a program and – produced Devin Bush, who he said he models the game after, as, as Lamar mentioned. But um, So that that one's a pretty big get for Loxley. Um, Mitchell is a little bit undersized as a defensive end, but he could probably play the jack-slash-buck-slash-outside linebacker sort of position that's a pass rusher that Andy Bonham had played, and you saw um, we've seen Darrell and Chami and Bryce Brand play this spring. So, um, you know, it, it's a class now of six. They're all three stars, but I think it's a solid foundation uh, going forward. And there are plenty more irons in the fire, we can say. This is the beginning of something. There are so many great players from this area that are still available, and Loxley's going to get a couple of them. You know that. Yeah, I mean, this is the foundation because it's three local guys, including one from DeMatha, one from St. Francis, and then a guy from Georgia and a guy from Florida. One from California. Maryland doesn't usually go out there, but... The fact that they can is is always nice. Um, Florida is a place where Maryland has made a lot of inroads under DJ Dirk, and that's somewhere that they'll try to keep attacking under Loxley, and same with Georgia. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to come in those places and get guys, and Maryland's been doing that. They, again, they're not going to get the biggest guys, but they have guys that they can develop, and that's obviously something that they want and something that we are seeing more of. So there's more football news to come. The recruiting cycle is really heating up, of course. Stay tuned to this two times for that. There is some basketball news. We talked a lot about that last week. But the basketball news is it has been widely reported that it looks like Kevin Broadus, who is one of Maryland's ace recruiters, is going to be leaving to take the head coaching job at Morgan State. Uh, Thomas, what do we think about that? I mean, it's tough. It's, it's you know, another – this will be the third straight offseason of um, assistant coaching turnover, assuming this is made official in the next – however, in the next little bit. Um we're, you know, we haven't posted about it. Just we're waiting for, for it to be official. But it, it looks all but certain. Broadus is out. Um, I'm sure Turgeon has probably someone experienced ready to step in. Bro- I mean, Broadus helped bring in the Mitchell twins, who were already signed, but um, as well as Sorrell Smith and Ricky Lindo, he was in- instrumental in those guys. Um, you know, he really, from from when he stepped on campus, I mean, he he was one of Maryland's better, you know, he was a very, very uh, effective recruiting assistant for Maryland. Um, a big chunk of next year's roster will have been recruited primarily by him. Um, but this was, you know, head coaching opportunities don't come around often, especially for someone like Broadus, who his one previous head coaching opportunity ended pretty, 
pretty messy. Um, he was at Binghamton and got paid like a million dollars to resign. So, um, but he's he's someone who's been in this area his whole career. You know, he's been at George Washington, Georgetown for a long time. American. Uh, he played at Bowie State, and you know, a chance to become a head man at Morgan State. I think it's it seems like the right opportunity for him at this time. Do you have any idea of names that could replace him, or is it too early in the process to say? For me, it's too early in the process to say. We've seen some. Have we seen some names linked to this yet, or no? Or is it just one of those things? Not yet. I mean, I think I, at, at the point, it's still not. It's still not official that he's gone, but it's it's all but certain. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how quickly Maryland takes to replace it. But there is also more basketball news, and it's a recruiting story that. We have enough to talk about on the record. Normally these things we don't quite have enough, but the recruiting process is getting close to ending. It's at the end of this month that it finishes up, and Maryland looks like they're going to have a roster spot available. So, Thomas, let's talk about this. What do we know? So at the moment, Maryland has all 13 scholarships filled, but they are very much prepared to move on without Bruno Fernando, who is expected by by most to keep his name in the NBA draft. And so if, and when he does, um, they've been, they've been recruiting other bigs and the guy that they had on campus this past weekend, Joe Mariel, a, depending on where you look, he's somewhere between seven, one and seven, three. But like with Bruno being six ten, that is tall with like seven L's. Um, he's, he's just an interesting prospect. He was one of the top, uh, recruits in his class before you know a high school career kind of littered with injuries um and so if if he can't stay like there's a very real chance he can't stay healthy and i think that's scared off a lot of bigger programs but his upside is is way up for sure i think we talked about it before the podcast that he's got incredibly high upside but the floor is also pretty low because of injuries and unfortunately we have the evidence from history that big men can get hurt and can get hurt a lot particularly somebody of his size, but Mark Turgeon has been very active in trying to fill these roster spots, and that's what he's done with Hart, and that's what he apparently is going to be doing here. Uh, Lamar, is there anything more to say about a guy whose name I can't pronounce or spell yet? Uh, Yeah, he's a guy who uh, was considered to be one of those unicorn-type players. He can shoot the three well. Um... But he also has had shin and uh, foot injuries, which is especially something you look for in big men because those are like recurring things, and especially at that height. Um, at the moment, 75% of the crystal balls uh, have him committing to Maryland. It's a process he says he wants to wrap up in the next month. Um, one of the biggest things to keep an eye on is Broadus was his main recruiter. So if he's gone, it'll be interesting to see what happens from there. And how much that actually, uh, and he's very much expected to, like, make it official with Morgan State. So it'll be interesting to see what that does in terms of Muriel's recruiting process, if he's already learned enough about the program to feel comfortable committing, even if Ross is gone, things like that. So we'll see how that plays out, and that should be happening soon, because Thomas, as I said, I think the recruiting process for 2019 ends at the end of this month, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, there are often, like, random late stragglers, but the signing period ends in mid-May, and you'll see a few uh, commits later than that. But 
there, I mean, there isn't much time left. Maryland is operating with really just one spot to fill. Um, and they'll probably go ahead and take care of it. Mm -hmm. So that is it for revenue sports, non-rev sports, lots to get to Thomas. And we'll focus on the good and bad of Maryland day. You know, I really shouldn't be making fun of Johns Hopkins as much as I was making fun of them on this podcast, because I often do, considering my other work. Uh, the women do what they do, and now they're number one for the first time this season. They beat Johns Hopkins, but the men didn't. So let's go for the positive first. Yeah, so, I mean, the women's team just is better than the other teams that it plays, and it, it beat Johns Hopkins again. Um, Hopkins doesn't have quite the history women's lacks, but... What, whatever the case, a 17-0 regular season is – it's the norm for whatever reason at Maryland when it really shouldn't be. The, this senior class, I mean, it is 67-1 in the regular season with that's a one-loss coming in overtime on the road against UNC last season. That's completely and utterly ridiculous. It is. I, I don't – I don't know. I don't know what to say about it. I think um, the record speaks for itself. Yeah, I, I think that's one of those instances where it does. Um, they somehow only have one national championship so far. They'll, it'll be two if they if they get it this year. Um, but you know, Boston the other College, thing is, who, we were talking about that, was they're now number one for the first time this season because BC. Yeah, was so Boston College, year. who eliminated them last year and returned everyone, including the reigning to Wharton winner and the girl who destroyed Maryland in the title game two years ago, but missed last season to play hockey. Like they they've just been loaded all year, and so in the in the polls they've been ahead of Maryland. In the committee rankings, Maryland had been ahead of Boston College, but now everyone's on the same page. BC lost the ACC title game to Carolina, um, so Maryland is going to be one across the board. And assuming it doesn't slip up in the Big Ten tournament, that'll uh, remain the case. I don't think they're slipping up in the Big Ten tournament. To be Unlikely, especially at Homewood Field, where they'll be essentially the home team. Yes. It's amazing to think how good that team is. And Kathy Reese was, what was she, just inducted the D.C. Sports Hall of Fame? Along with Sasha. Yeah, well, obviously, Sasha should have been there a long time ago. But Kathy Reese, I'm surprised she doesn't have her own wing, because she's won so much. I, Maybe one day. <laughs> I love doing those the, the high school lacrosse tournaments that I, I did with... Uh, some people who are very much around women's lacrosse, and every time you saw a Maryland commit on the list, you'd go like, oh my god, how does she get these players? Her team's somehow even better. It's crazy, right? Uh, but the men, unfortunately, yeah, I shouldn't really make fun of Johns Hopkins as much as I had done because Maryland lost to them. But this kind of seemed like it was coming. Maryland had been iffy the last couple of games for whatever reason, and this is finally one where it caved in on them a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they've been a little bit shaky, but the, the Big Ten is tough. Um, I think this was one where Hopkins played desperate. Hopkins really needed a win, not necessarily to get in the Big Ten tournament, uh, but to really keep its its hopes alive for an at-large bid. You know, they weren't ranked. They were hey, this movie struggling before. around 500. Hopkins somehow always finds a way to scrape into the NCAA tournament, even though they don't deserve to be in. Yeah, I mean, but... You know, Maryland took an early, like, 6-1 lead, and then Hopkins, for the rest of the game, just was dominant. And Maryland's offense couldn't really get anything going, and Hopkins uh, just across the board. I think they took twice as many shots, and they won one by five, which is as many as Maryland's lost by in 
five, six years. So, um, you know, a bit of a clunker, but it's one of those for the first time in the rivalry's history, they'll play back-to-back games. So they'll play Thursday. Oh, they'll play Thursday. Oh, oh that's even better. So that maybe Maryland. So really, so really all that uh, mattered in that game was maybe it hurts Maryland's NCAA tournament seating a little bit and they'll wear different colored jerseys in the Big Ten semis. That's it. It's very unfortunate, but I think Maryland now has an opportunity, though, to reset. Because, you know, when you, when you see a team playing like that, when they were good, but they were creaky, and you could see some of the problems that were emerging, losing is not necessarily a bad thing. No, I mean, I, I keep coming back to the, uh, to the Sasha quote. It's harder to learn when you're winning. And... Especially when you're so, winning ugly. Yeah. And that certainly seems to be the case. That I believe the games are what, Thursday? Thursday, Saturday for the men, Friday, Sunday for the women. Okay, thank you very much. And the selection shows are both, I believe, Sunday night? Yeah. Back. Okay. So you'll know the NCAA tournament seating for both the men and the women. But it seems pretty obvious where the women are going to be. Men, a little bit less so. Uh, that's coming up on Sunday. Other non-revenue sports. Baseball. Thomas. It's kind of hard to be so certain about uh, what to make of last weekend. They won another Big Ten series on the road. It's their third straight road series win. Penn State, though, only had one Big Ten win entering the week and now has two. So it's not great. It's hard to expect a sweep on the road, especially if you're kind of a middle-of-the-pack team like Maryland. But um, they, they, they won two out of three. They're above 500 in the Big Ten they could be doing a lot worse right now in line to Um, make the tournament as well. Yeah. They do have a tough series against Michigan coming up this weekend. Um, And it it won't be a super easy finish this season, but they've put themselves in at least decent shape as far as that's concerned. Um, It's not a bad thing. The expectations were for this team to start the season to make the big 10 tournament. The big 10 is not, you know, the dominant baseball conference, but it's not bad. So to get in is definitely not a bad thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it would be a step back in the right direction after missing it last year, for sure. And then softball might miss the Big Ten tournament again, which is 12 teams out of the 14. Uh, they're, I think, tied for 12th right now, and they have Michigan coming this weekend, and who's, the, who's very, very good at softball. The only time I have seen a Maryland softball game was against Michigan, and Maryland got no hit. Yeah. That happened. That yeah, was Michigan's pretty good. Ago. I mean, the Big Ten, just standings-wise this year, has three really, really dominant teams, and then everyone else is kind of just okay at best. Um, But Nebraska looked more than okay against Maryland. Nebraska, I think, outscored Maryland 34-3 to in a weekend series, and Mercy ruled them three times. So that's that's not what you want. No. (laughs) That's very much not what you like to see. I I wouldn't want to see that either. No, you're absolutely correct with that. Uh that the program's building though it's it's a tough climb. I mean they've kind of started from zero multiple times. It is. I mean and this is a a pretty young team as well and they've done they've been through all the conference play without Taylor Rocada who was their best player at the start of the year. So you know that that's not an easy way to go about it either. Mhm. But I mean the arrow is still in many ways it's not going down. Not like they could go much further, unfortunately, but anything else that we missed? I don't think so. 
Uh, I'll, I'll talk a couple I'll, for a second just about sports that we don't usually talk about. Uh, men's golf struggled in the Big Ten championships, but I believe uh, Peter Nade who is, is a junior who finished ninth and has a chance to get an NCAA tournament at large. Um, women's golf is in the NCAA tournament. So that's for the first time since 2012, 2013, I believe. So um, they'll get started, I believe, next week. And I should have known. I, I forgot I'm talking to the golf guy here. Yeah, and track and field um, is home this week. It's their it's their special home meet this weekend. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're in the area, there are worse things to do. There are definitely worse things to do. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I could think of, and I don't think there is anything. Oh, by the way, Dwayne Haskins is going to wear number seven. He was allowed to by Joe Theismann, just to pick up on an earlier thing from the podcast. Yep. Bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for you. I mean, he got the blessing. So. Yeah, but, I mean, seriously, though, that's a, that's a tough act to follow. I mean, if we're talking quarterback by the Washington football team, the only one that's more beloved is Doug Williams than Joe Theismann. So, I mean, what did you expect him to change his Twitter name? How else will he be DH Simba underscore <laughs> seven? Oh, man. I, I know, but still, sometimes you can change that. That's not a problem, but, I mean, that's a, that's a bold strategy. I love his confidence, but you just hope it pays off. Yeah, we'll see. It's a, it's a tough act to follow. Anyway... That is it for this show. We'll be back soon with more news, presumably non-Rebs, talking about lacrosse tournaments and whatnot. But until then, of course, go Terps.